You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If you are brand new with us, I want to say hello and uh, extend a welcome as well to you. Thanks for being here and uh, thanks for taking time out in a, in a busy summer and spending time with us. Uh, as you've seen up here on the screen, we've been uh, through the Psalms throughout uh, the summer. The Psalms is right in the middle of the Bible. Just, just open up the Bible right in the center and you're going to find the Psalms. And uh, today we are going to be in Psalm 103. And while you're turning there, I'm going to break a preaching rule and read another verse from another passage of Scripture uh, that I'm not going to be preaching from, but I want it to set us up for Psalm 103. There's a little book in the New Testament. It's called Jude. And in Jude, uh, Jude describes uh, the days that we live in. And Jude describes it this way. He says, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, those are the times since Jesus' resurrection and ascension, essentially the days that we uh, live in and have been living in. In the last times, there will be scoffers, mockers, people following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Jude says what Jesus said about false prophets rising up in the last days and leading many people astray. And Jesus says, because lawlessness will increase, the love of many, the love of many for God will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Some will be growing cold. Many will be growing cold. Some will not be growing cold, and their love will increase even as others decrease. So Jude says, but you, beloved, building yourself up, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, leaning into God, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Jude says we are to do some things even as the Lord keeps us, even as the Holy Spirit fills us. He says praying in the Holy Spirit, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God so that our hearts don't grow cold. So I want to ask this question today. Do you know how to build yourself up In your most holy faith, so as to keep yourself in the love of God and guard yourself from growing cold. You know how to do that practically. I could ask this question different ways. Do you know what you can do today to grow your faith? Or I could ask it this way Do you know how to grow in your love for the Lord, even if you've grown cold or dull? Or you feel like you've been drifting. Whether that drift has started the past day or two. Or whether it's been a long season for you. Or I could phrase it this way. Do you know how to get spiritually unstuck? If you feel like you're stuck or plateaued or declining in your faith or your love for God. 
it's important that we understand everybody has highs and lows. Every single Christian has highs and lows. And everyone does something when they feel stuck or when they feel spiritually plateaued or they feel like they're growing cold or dull. The question is, what do we do? If you're in that place today, what have you done or what are you doing? Even if the decision is to do nothing, that is a decision to do something. So what is it that you are doing? We're going to talk today about how we build ourselves up in our most holy faith, in our faith, how to grow our faith from Psalm 103. We could go to other places in the Bible. The Bible teaches us these principles in lots of places. But today we're going to go to Psalm 103. Uh, It's the Psalm of David. And the reason we're going to go to Psalm 103 is that I believe it is a comprehensive It is simple, but it's a comprehensive outline for building yourself up and growing your faith no matter where you are. So whatever kind of, wherever you would find yourself on the spectrum today, and maybe we should take a moment as we pray and you could locate yourself on that spectrum. Wherever you are, this is a sort of roadmap to help you grow in your faith. There are three elements. Number one, take responsibility. That's what we're going to see in verses 1 and 2. Number 2, feast on truth. That's the majority of Psalm 103. That's verses 3 through 18. And number 3, tell others. Verses 19 through 22. So let's pray right now and let's invite the Holy Spirit. Let's press into mercy right now. And let's invite his help as we get into God's word together. Holy Spirit, we now submit ourselves to you. This is your word, and we submit ourselves under your word, and we confess our weakness, and we confess our distraction. We confess that we are, we are tempted in many ways, and we confess our coldness. We confess our dullness. We confess our confusion sometimes in terms of what to do next or, or how to grow in our faith, and we confess our discouragement to you. Whether that discouragement finds us in a, a moment or it's been a long season. We bring all that to you today right now. And we ask that you'd watch over your word and that you would speak to us. We would hear your voice speaking to us as we look at your scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Because there is something David points us to here about our responsibility. Let's take responsibility. Let's look at verse 1. It says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. David is writing a psalm, a congregational song that everybody is supposed to gather together and sing And the first person that we're to exhort in this congregational moment is our own souls. David is saying, my own soul. We are all to speak to our own souls. And it's fascinating that that's the starting point. But it's at the the starting point of responsibility. Let's take responsibility for the drift that our soul naturally has. And so he says, here's the goal. The goal is to bless. That means to praise and to adore Yahweh. That's the goal. We know that's the goal. And so because that's the goal, he first directs it to himself. Oh, my soul, bless the Lord. 
Starting here, my soul is responsible for blessing the Lord. And that O there is so important because that's a, that's a moment of sort of desperation. Anytime you see that in the Bible, O is not just, just a, a flippant, uh, you know, addition. It's there for a purpose. Oh, my soul. Stop your drifting and bless the Lord. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. That's what the soul is. The soul is all that is within you. It's the real you. It's the inner you. It's the affections. It's the hurt, the heartache, the dreams, the stuff inside there. That's the soul. There's not a dichotomy here. The soul is, is, is the responsible place before the Lord of who we are and what we desire and, and what, what's, what's primarily guiding us. That's our soul. It's us. And he says, bless the Lord and forget not all of his benefits. So it's important that we understand the goal is to bless the Lord, but the soul forgets. So right at the outset, David introduces a problem. The soul is supposed to bless the Lord, but the soul forgets. It it forgets all of his benefits. That's the rewards of following Yahweh. the, The benefits of knowing God personally, intimately, in an obedient covenant relationship. The, the soul just forgets. And that's why he's, he's taking responsibility for his soul and saying, don't forget all of his benefits. So David is saying, uh, I'm not a passive victim. And he is instructing others to understand that we are not just passive victims of our circumstances in regards to where our soul is. Are there circumstances outside of us that affect our soul that we don't have control over? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's sort of a three-headed monster I've mentioned in the past of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're always under attack, and we're always susceptible to the world and to our own flesh and to the, the, the devil's attacks, his accusations, his temptations, all those kinds of things. However, we are not just victims that are sort of passively floating through life and if, if, we, if we hit a high, that's great. And if we hit a low, we, there's nothing really we can do about it. That's not what David says. We can do something. We can remind the soul. Dr. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, years ago, the old doctor, the old theologian doctor said this. Most of your unhappiness in life. Now, anytime somebody says something like that, I'm leaning in. (laughs) Okay, tell me what you're about to say next. Most of my unhappiness in life, he says, is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc., I wish he had uh, said a little bit more about the et cetera part. Uh, He says, somebody is talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment, he's talking about Psalm 42 that Caleb preached on two weeks ago. He says, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him. His soul had been crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment, and I will speak to you. So it's important that we understand that the soul forgets, but we can take responsibility and we can remind the soul of the benefits 
of the Lord. We're commanded to. Okay, so taking responsibility, pressing into mercy, leaning into the Lord. It's our responsibility now to, to help our soul bless the Lord. What do we do? Verses 3 through 19 tells us exactly what to do. And it's nothing short of a feast. So the action step here is to feast on truth. Feast on the truth of God. Not just intellectually check off the list that you believe the truths of God. That's important because what David does here in the next few verses is nothing short of a delightful feast. It's not a snack. You know the difference between a snack and a feast. You know the difference between a meal that you have prepared for and you've made yourself hungry for and you sit down and enjoy this meal versus a snack that you just kind of get and and go and it doesn't necessarily bring a whole lot of delight. It may may satisfy the the temporary hunger, but it's not a delightful uh, experience. There are people in this in this church, there are people in this room who could uh, educate us on how to properly enjoy a feast and a, uh, a buffet, how to efficiently enjoy a buffet. Um, so, uh, and I could point you to those, those folks in this, uh, in this room, one sitting right over here. Uh, and that's what David is doing, nothing short of a buffet of the glory of God. What he's about to do is is give us a comprehensive description of the what the Old Testament describes the hesed of God, the steadfast love of God, the one of a kind love of God, which is both a description of God's character and an action that he takes towards his people. One theologian says it this way: to do hesed is to do the best in and, the, and make the most of or the best of a relationship. It's, it's full compassion. It's full faithfulness. It's full of restraint if the creature needs restraint. It's the unique way that God relates to those in covenant relationships. You'll see it in the Bible as steadfast love over and over again, the steadfast love of the Lord. And in Hebrew, that's the hesed of God. And that's what David is about to just help us uh, go, go to town on, go, go feast on this, because this is the solution. Uh, it, it's like take one step, uh, one look at our souls, and then go to the buffet of the truth of who God is and feast on the hesed of God. So here, here's, he's about to do this. So I want you to buckle up for a, a little bit here because he's going to have you sit down at the feast of God and he's going to serve up benefit after benefit, reward after reward, and, uh, and, and help us uh, think the way we're supposed to think. So what's the first thing that he says? Verse 3. Here's, here's the first thing that he serves up. Who forgives all your iniquity. I don't think it's by accident that David says this is the starting point. We have iniquity. We have like total iniquity. And we need forgiveness from God. And he starts there. This God forgives all of our iniquity. The Apostle Paul will quote David uh, in Romans 4, when he's talking about the pinnacle of the gospel message, he says, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. 
See, we live in a world where righteousness and good things come to us based on our effort and how hard we work, based on our morality, based on what we do. But the Apostle Paul said, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That's the gospel message. Through Jesus Christ, through his work, through his lifetime of obedience before God, and then his taking responsibility for our sins on the cross, and his victory over the cross by going into the grave and coming out victoriously, God does not count our sins against us, but counts our, his righteousness, God's righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, apart from works, towards us. This is what it means to be forgiven of all of our iniquity. God looks upon us in Christ and says, I do not count his or her sins against them. I see the righteousness of my son. I see the goodness and the love and the mercy of Jesus over that individual because all of our iniquity is forgiven. That's where David starts. This is the first thing that we need to eat at the meal of truth is that God has forgiven us all of our iniquity. And because he's forgiven us all our iniquity, he also goes on to heal all our diseases. The iniquity is the big problem. Diseases are a small problem to God. The, the, the big issue is how are our sins covered? How does righteousness come to somebody who has failed God morally? That's, that's the hard problem. Diseases for God are no big deal. We're told over and over again in the scripture that God often heals now. We've prayed for people on Sunday, and we will pray for you today. If you are afflicted by any disease, we will pray right now. And we believe that God heals now in a variety of ways. All healing, scripture tells us, ultimately has God as the source. All healing that happens now on this planet, in this time, in this age, comes from God. But also, all diseases will be healed in the age to come. When Christ returns, all, he, all diseases will be gone, will be eradicated. And for those who are afflicted now, we're told in 2 Corinthians, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. So to have an affliction, to have a disease that you would, you would not want, you would not desire, nevertheless, it prepares for us something greater beyond it, something beyond all comparison, a weight of glory for those who are afflicted. That's how God reverses uh, disease in our lives and heals all of our disease. Our fear of disease, God heals that too. Our anxiety, what if he takes that away because it will all be eradicated and if we find ourselves in it, it prepares something even better for us in the years to come, the days to come, the age to come. So he heals our iniquity. He takes away and forgives our sins and our diseases. Look at verse 4. He also redeems our life from the pit. God redeems. That means he brings it back. He buys it back. And where are we? We're in a pit. We are surrounded by what the Bible says here is a grave of destruction, this emptiness. It's the pit. It's literally the pit. Some of you have said, man, I've, uh, I'm, I'm in the pits. Uh, true, uh, because you have been in the pit. 
the grave of emptiness, the grave of destruction. That was my life before Christ came into my life and redeemed it. I was stuck. I was in a pit. I was surrounded by gloom and doom and death. Yet, he delivered me out of that pit and crowned me with his steadfast love and his mercy. That's the hesed of God. He crowns. He takes somebody that's in the pit, takes them out of the pit, and puts them on his throne and crowns the individual, not just with mercy, but with steadfast love and mercy. That's what we're told in Galatians, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, by entering into our pit, by going down into the grave of our destruction, going down into the emptiness to lift us up and lift us out. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus experiencing the wrath of God for us to pull us out of that grave, out of that destination and moving us into this place of royalty where we are called the friends of God and the sons and daughters of God. Colossians 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, yet God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Once he's forgiven us all of our trespasses, then he raises us up out of that pit of destruction and adorns us. That's what crowns means. He adorns, he surrounds us now with steadfast love and mercy that never leaves us never goes away, always surrounded. It, it, it never takes a break. His steadfast love, his steadfast mercy always around us. Those are, those are some good things to know today. And it is only the start. He goes on. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We're to remind our souls that God cares about giving us good things and satisfying us with good. Can we just take a moment and just pause and just think about the good? Just the simple good that the Lord has satisfied us with even today. Many of us slept and you slept, you had a reasonably good night's sleep. Some of you didn't, but some of you did. You had a reasonably good night's sleep. Many of us had breakfast this morning and, you know, enjoyed the rain a little bit this morning while you were kind of sleeping and you didn't have to turn the, 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 the water on or, or spend a little bit more money uh, this week on that. Or any number of things, just goodness coming towards us constantly that we're just not aware of. And we're called to wake up and to think, think about that, that he satisfies us with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Oftentimes in Scripture, the eagle is sort of the picture of strength and ability and renewal just flying over all the problems that take place down below. We're told that God through his spirit, renews us like the eagle. Isaiah told us this in his, in his uh, book. He gives power to the faint. Do you feel faint today? Do you feel tired and faint? He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord will, shall renew their strength. They will renew it. It will come if you wait for the Lord. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. You will soar over your fear and anxiety as you wait 
on the Lord because he cares about renewal. He cares that our faith and our, our, uh, the inside of us is renewed like the eagle. He cares. Look at verse 6. He cares about righteousness. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He sees the oppressed. He is aware of the oppressed. And he sees all the oppressed. There's no pocket of oppression that God is not aware of. There's no place in the world where oppression is happening and injustice is happening that he will not reverse the effects of that one day. He is bringing justice into those places now in some measure. And he will fully bring about total justice and total righteousness one day. Why? Well, we're told that the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. In other words, the most marginalized of society he is aware of and he upholds them. He cares. He is intimately aware. He knows how many hairs are on the head of the marginalized. He knows the middle name of every marginalized person in the world. He knows them. He upholds them. But the way of the wicked, Psalm 146 tells us, he will bring to ruin. He will bring about righteousness for all the oppressed. And we should rest in that. The soul needs to rest in that. Sometimes that's what the, that's the one dish the soul needs, right? He goes on. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. He does not hide, in other words. God does not hide and not reveal himself. He shows his glory to the world and to the, to the people of Israel. He's, he's shown his mighty acts. They have seen. They need to recall. We need to recall his mighty acts. And we also need to be reminded that he made known his ways in an intimate way, in a friendship way to Moses. And through the Holy Spirit, we have access to the same kind of friendship that we're told in Exodus 33 Moses had. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And through the Holy Spirit, we grow in our intimacy with God in one day face to face with the Lord. He goes on. You guys, you guys with me right now? Okay, good. He, he keeps going. Look at verse 8. Uh, the Lord is merciful and gracious Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. There's our word, said. He's abounding in said. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's abounding in this one-of-a-kind love. I'll say, I'll say, uh, he, he is abounding in love. He overflows. If this is who God is, he overflows in beauty and generosity and grace. It's almost as if he overflows so much and my cup is so empty, I kind of need to just move close to that love and just lift up a cup and ask him to fill it. And I wonder if that's where some of us are. We, we need to acknowledge our emptiness and hold that cup out and let him fill that cup with his abounding and steadfast love. Look at verse 9. He will not always chide. Nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Praise God. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Listen, nobody's being dealt with today according to our sins. Nobody. Nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. 
Why does he not do that? Well, verse 11 tells us, and verse 12 tells us too. Why does he not repay us according to our iniquities or deal with us according to our sins? Here's why. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's the highest description David can come up with in his view. As high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. That's how great it is. As high as the heavens are above the earth. You can't see all the way past the heavens to the earth. Infinitely is what he's saying. Infinitely high. It's infinitely high. That's how great his steadfast love is towards those who fear him. That's good news. It's higher than I can see. It's way bigger. It's way higher. The highest place doesn't even come close. And then he changes it to right and left. He says, so far as the east is from the west. So the arrow is going this way. And the arrow is going this way. And as far out as that goes. In other words, for an infinite length. East and west goes away from each other. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's what it means to be, to have our iniquities removed from us. It means that I'm going this way. My iniquity through the cross has gone that way. It's removed from me. It's not going to touch me. It doesn't have power over me anymore. Can't condemn me anymore. I can't be judged and condemned for those iniquities. Even though Satan says, oh yes, you can. No, I can't because as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He has removed them all, all, all! Exclamation point. Capital A-L-L when he wrote this. He has removed them all, all, all! From the cradle to the tomb, they are gone. Sins in private and sins in public, sins of thought, word, deed are all removed. The moment we believe in Jesus, they are all, all, all gone. Thank you, Spurgeon, for just, thank you for your prose. They are all, all, all gone. He says, for he sweeps them away all at once. That's what happened at the cross And the empty tomb. Our sins are swept away through faith in Jesus, in his perfect work for us. That's great news. That's as far as the east is from the west, as as far as the highest heaven is to to the earth. This infinite love that he has for us. Look at verse 13. He's still serving it up. David's still serving it up. As, as the, a father shows compassion to his children. So it, we're supposed to think, we're supposed to be compassionate towards our children. Jesus will say these kinds of things. You being evil, you wouldn't do this. How much more would your father in heaven? As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Why does he show compassion? For he knows our frame He remembers that we are dust. That's not a slight, like, he's not saying, like, the song, you know, all we are is dust in the wind. He's not minimizing, you know, like, we're just nobody. Um, He is saying that he knows our frame. He created us from the dust. He knows us intimately. We go on these, like, searches to find ourselves. And God's like, I know you. 
I know everything about you. I know your frame. I remember that you are dust. That's what we saw a few weeks ago in Psalm 139. You formed my inward parts. I didn't form myself. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. That includes me. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. He knows us. He knows us. You don't have to go on a long journey to find yourself. You just need to take a step towards the one who intimately knows everything about you. He remembers that we are dust, and he has compassion out of his knowledge of us. He knows where we are, and he moves towards us in mercy because we need it, because we are weak in our humanity and frailty. Look at verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field. In other words, the, in our moments of greatness, it's like a flourishing, like a flower of the field. There's this moment where the, the flower, you know, blooms and it's beautiful and it's great. And maybe for an individual on planet earth, there's this moment of celebrity and uh, power with that or praise with that or, or money with that. But can anybody name the top movie stars, the top athletes, or the top politicians of just a hundred years ago, 1919? Can you think of one right now? Can you think of one? No, you cannot think of a single one. Why? Because verse 16 tells us why. The wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. This place knows none of those people anymore. But they were so popular. They flourished for so long. They were so well known. And yet, they were flourishing like a flower in the field. The wind comes. The it's, it's gone. Uh, it's place doesn't remember it anymore, but not true of the Lord. Verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. That means from eternity to eternity. This has said of God, the steadfast love did not start from your birth and it will not end at your death. Because it goes from eternity to eternity, as far as the east is from the west. Christian Stanfield wrote a song that I like. It's very, very simple. And uh, sometimes simple is powerful. And I think the, the song title is One Thing Remains. And one of the lines in this song goes, Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. And then uh, it's three times, you sing that three times. And then uh, the line is, and on and on and on and on it goes. Yes, it overwhelms and satisfies my soul. That's a very simple way of describing the steadfast love of God. On and on and on and on it goes. It overwhelms and it satisfies the soul. Well, notice there's a a qualifier here. The soul on those who 
fear him and his righteousness to their children's children, to those who keep his covenant, remember to do his commandments. Well, what does it mean to keep his covenant, remember to do his commandments? Well, we are told that that is faith in the one who has totally kept his covenant and remember to do all of his commandments that is Jesus and we are told in the gospel message that now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe for there's no distinction all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified that means our sins are swept away from us by his grace, as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to come into this covenant relationship and to know that we have kept his covenant if we are in Jesus and all of these promises and benefits are pouring out towards us now through Christ. So, David has been serving up a feast. And as I've been preaching, what we are doing together is meditating on the truth. We've been like a tree planted by streams of water. Nourishment is coming to the tree in the form of truth. We have got to have objective truth if we want to experience anything different subjectively. It's got to come through here and then it flows out there. Jesus says the truth will make you free. It will. It will make you free. As you meditate on the truth, as you feast on the truth, a snack won't make you free, but a feast on the truth, a sustained gazing with your mind open to the Holy Spirit, pressing into mercy, will bring freedom. And, uh, and then here's how we're going to close. There's a third element to this. Having taken responsibility, having feasted on the truth, we are to do something. We're to move out in obedience. And this is a crucial element, and this is how we're, we're closing. Look at verse 19 through 22. David closes out the psalm this way. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. And it moves them out to worship. And he worships big and he worships bold. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels. First he was talking about his soul. Now he's directing his exhortation to mighty beings of God who have no sin nature and are, by the way, blessing the Lord perfectly, constantly. Nevertheless, David is going to instruct them now. Bless the Lord, oh, you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. David is caught up in obedience. Because his kingdom rules over all, because I am a recipient of the amazing steadfast mercy and love of God, everybody, bless the Lord. Angels, You mighty ones who do his word, bless him, obeying the voice of his word. He's caught up in obedience. He's submitted to the Lord now. Whatever the Lord wants, man, is what he's saying. Let's, Let's give it all to him. Let's worship him. Let's obey him. Let's move out in obedience. Let's worship him with everything that we've got. And then he says, verse 21, bless the Lord, all his hosts, the armies and armies in heaven of angels, his ministers who do his will. Do you notice that he's caught up in obedience? It's not just a uh, gazing upon the glory of God. It's stepping out towards obedience. C.S. Lewis uh, said it this way about, uh, about why we always move towards telling other people 
when we are delighted in something. C.S. Lewis says it this way. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is a it is its appointed consummation. It is not out of a compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of a road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. Or to hear a good joke and find nobody to share it with. That's me. I always hear some great joke and then nobody's around. Or I totally botch the joke when I have an opportunity. He says, he says, the Scotch catechism says that the man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. So to tell others is the appointed consummation. David can't help but tell the angels to worship. He knows the angels are worshiping, but it's his appointed consummation. You do this with anything that you enjoy. You discover a restaurant, you got to tell somebody about it. You discover a funny YouTube clip, got to tell somebody about it. Uh, a good book, a good movie, a good band. I discovered a band that's been around forever, uh, but it was a, a new discovery for me. King's Kaleidoscope. Anybody hear about King's Kaleidoscope? Anybody know that band? You know about it now because I've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying it, and I'm going to tell you about it. I've texted somebody. I, you know, I recently invited King's Kaleidoscope into my heart, and I want you to celebrate uh, with me because I love this band. And, uh, and I do that with everything. Everything I enjoy, I just naturally do, and you do too. We all do this and because it's a pointed consummation. We tell others. Now, Jesus commands us to do that. This is an obedience issue. We are to tell others, but it's also an act of worship. It's the way that we continue to build our faith. Our souls enlarge as we tell other people. So tell other believers in your community group the truth that you are enjoying. To do that today, groups are starting up this week. Tell other people now where you are. Are you empty? Tell your people in your group. Are you feeling low? Are you in high? Are you in a low? Wherever you are. Tell people where you're at, but also tell them the truth that you're grabbing hold of, that you are enjoying. And then he closes this way. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. I'm quoting Caleb from last week. A heart restored by mercy is a heart renewed for mission. And now now David is not just talking to angels who are believers. He's talking everybody should be praising the Lord. So he's thinking about all of his works in all places, places where there's not complete obedience. He's saying the message of the glorious has said love, steadfast mercy of God should go to those places. And those places should be blessing the Lord because they are all part of his dominion. Jesus said it this way, go out into the highways, go to the hedges, compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Is Jesus worried about numbers there? Is he worried about, you know, a, a full house versus empty house? No, he's talking about the worship of Yahweh. He is talking about the zeal that he it was told would consume him. Zeal for the house, for the worship of God consumed Jesus. It was the appointed consummation for him. And it's the appointed consummation for us. So ask the Holy Spirit to help you tell someone the good news of Jesus. 
to those who don't know him. You say, I don't really know how to do that. Start by asking the Holy Spirit to show you who and to show you how. And he will. And it'll be you. It'll be your personality. It'll be your situation. It'll be unique to you. He will show you who. He will show you how as you press into mercy. And maybe you could start by simply inviting them to church. If you're a student, inviting them to the square. You can invite them to Alpha that's starting in in September. And then he closes with this. He started with, bless the Lord, O my soul. And now he says it again. He's told angels to bless the Lord. Now he's saying, again, bless the Lord, O my soul. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org. 